the four episode podcast it's a podcast about listening to the needs and dreams of our city we want you to love our city better so that you can be a part of its transformation we don't want you to live in evansville we want you to be for evansville i'm adrian i'm here with jonathan today and we are so excited to have our guest scott massey with us from grow pod yeah i'm i've been really excited to have this conversation i've had the opportunity to, to talk with you scott and know some of the other members of your team um but to the listener, um, I, I promise I'm not exaggerating when I say I really think that what we're talking about today uh, is going to change the world in some really significant ways. Um, so, like, I'm I know you hear that all the time, and it's like, okay, yeah, but how many things actually change right. the world or whatever? Um, but you know, we're we're really talking about an innovation that changes the way that we meet a basic human need. And because of that, um, it changes a lot of things about the dynamics of our of our city and of you know cities and uh, communities all over the world in a in a really cool and exciting way. So I think in this conversation you'll get to hear kind of like a little bit of a glimpse into what the future could be like, um, a little bit of innovative thinking about like oh I never I never really thought about that as this really simple solution to one of the world's most important problems. Um, and then also to get a sense of um, how innovation and contributing new ideas can lead to a more equitable society. So uh, hopefully I haven't um, put too much pressure on you, Scott, <laughs> as a, as a guest right and, and really like <laughs> built up this uh, in a way that, that makes you feel like, but, but I think that you, uh, I think that you maybe believe those things about the product you guys have developed as well, um, because I know you're really passionate about it. So without further ado, we'd love to hear, uh, you know, what is GrowPod and, and maybe yeah. a little bit of the journey of how you came to develop this technology. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for having me here. Yeah. Really excited. Um, you know, I think the best thing is to kind of start from the very beginning of how I was really introduced to this technology. Around 2016, when I was still completing my undergraduate degree at Purdue uh, University, there was a really exciting research opportunity uh, being led by a professor named Dr. Kerry Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And his background was in LED lighting for horticultural applications, growing plants, mm -hmm. and specifically okay. growing plants in space. So, oh, cool. Pretty exciting. Like yeah, a cool project. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so NASA and some other yeah, U.S. federal agencies had awarded Purdue and a number of other universities some research grants to study the effects of what they call multispectral LEDs or essentially different colors of lights. Mm -hmm. And how okay. does this make plants grow with the most energy efficient method as possible? And okay. to me, being really just a research engineer, an undergraduate research engineer on this project, to me, I thought this was incredibly exciting Yeah, that yeah. we were literally creating an environment to farm mm -hmm. beyond mm -hmm. our planet. And to me, oh, well. I started kind of asking ourselves, well, why not on this planet? Why, why can't we, you know, sure. incorporate this technology in a system that 
consumers and everyday people can use to grow their own food. Mm. And although that study ultimately contributed to what some of the uh, applications are being used on the space station today for these astronauts to grow food, uh, to me, I just kept thinking about the immediate consumer application here on Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really started researching a lot of patents in this space. Uh, you know, a patent is what protects a design's kind of integrity and makes it uniquely yours. But one of the biggest issues in our space was energy efficiency. Much of the same problems that we were trying to solve for the space exploration was what was hindering the industry from developing here on Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's that most of these vertical farms or hydroponic technologies consume so much energy. Unfortunately, sometimes that power bill is bigger than the grocery bill, the value mm. of the crops that oh, they're okay. growing. Yeah. yeah. And, and real, real quick, can you just yeah. kind of help uh, listeners visualize like what you talk, what you mean? when you say vertical farm or like yeah. uh, kind yeah. of paint that picture for like, what is this product that we're talking about? So I think the first word we need to take apart is hydroponics. So mm -hmm. you've got the Greek word hydro and ponics, meaning water to do work. And what that means is growing plants without dirt. You're recycling the nutrient well, solution, replacing okay. the dirt over the roots in a constant loop. And because there's no runoff, like in a field where mm. you might rely on rain or flooding to actually right. irrigate those crops, yeah. in this case, there's no runoff. So it's hyper-efficient in its water usage, mm -hmm. wow. usually using up to 95% less water than wow. what's done in a traditional field. Wow. Okay. So we've got this hyper-efficient method to grow crops that can grow it much faster than what would normally occur outdoors. Mm -hmm. And okay. if I had to make a comparison, think of like a hunter-gatherer lifestyle Mm -hmm. Right, you're exerting a lot of energy to obtain energy. Sure. Hydroponics is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. We've got these <laughs> nutrients just readily available yeah. being delivered yeah. to the plants. Now that's the irrigation side. Now we need to control the environment. And that's mm -hmm. where this concept called CEA, or Controlled Environment Agriculture, where you essentially create the environment around the plants that's mm -hmm. the most opportunic for them to grow. Sure. That's this kind of conjunction of the controlled environment and these hydroponic technologies coming together. When you have these two technologies working together, you're essentially creating an environment or simulating an environment that could happen you know, in Tuscany, Italy, for example. Yeah. You could recreate yeah. these environments and create a yeah. perfect and you can kind of like Yeah, you can well, kind of like okay. custom tailor it around what but a specific plant needs to do the absolute best that it can. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. but you're saying that um, products that existed that already did this. So it's it's not a not necessarily a new technology, but there was this problem of kind of the efficiency and uh, efficiency in regards to its cost and energy efficiency that that made it not necessarily the best solution to yeah. this problem. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And hydroponics is actually an ancient technology. Uh, hmm. wow. in, in ancient South America, they have floating rafts in the oh, yeah. kind of Gulf of Mexico uh, area. And okay. the ancient Egyptians had floating rafts in the Nile River, and, and that was hydroponics. But now we're in this age where there's technology with LEDs that are cost-effective. Mm -hmm. We have logic controllers that can actually automate these environments with computer algorithms. So we've kind of reached this point wow. where it's now autonomous. It doesn't yeah. require so much micromanagement. They can be set up and ran on their own. Yeah. So really is, exciting convergence of the technologies wow. at this yes. point in time. Which is Crazy. really good news for like people like me who really struggle to keep basic houseplants alive. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. like I could I could grow my own food even without the expertise of being or you know uh, having the knowledge of how to farm, right? So or even the time. Yeah, because it's a pretty laborious process. But if you can automate that, you can eliminate not just the time factor, but even the knowledge required to be that farmer sure. all in a contained controlled system. Yeah. Wow. So can you um, can you kind of paint the picture for us then of like, what do you see as the implications of like, what what if what if this technology was 
pretty readily accessible to the average person. I could, you know, have essentially a small indoor farm in my house and grow my own food. How does that impact the world that we live in right now? And what are kind of the broad sweeping implications of that? Yeah. Uh, you know, to make a comparison, I would say, look at the refrigerator. And I know that's kind of become this ubiquitous piece of our life and we kind mm -hmm. of take it for granted. It's a box we put food in and we take food out of, but that's incredibly powerful. The yeah. fact that we are not having to be farmers ourselves, that we can go to the market, that the supply chain exists, store mm -hmm. food and have it readily available. That was incredibly transformative, I would say, for the entire society globally. Sure. Because yeah. people could live in more remote environments. They could live in more inhospitable environments because mm -hmm. they could create these perfect food preservation environments. So mm -hmm. we're looking at something that's an order of magnitude comparable to a, a staple household appliance that we have today. Yeah. But, you know, that idea was crazy. Yeah. In the 20s, you know, people would ask, why would I buy a refrigerator? <laughs> why do I need this environmental control chamber when I can buy ice? You know, there's already sure. ice delivery men that could bring you ice at that time. But, mm -hmm. you know, the consumer experience preferred the convenience of it being decentralized inside that household level. So mm. that's what I think what it means to the okay. consumer. It's having your absolute favorite produce, irrespective of your climate or geographical region, ready to harvest when you're ready to eat it. Truly yeah. a system that adapts to your wow. needs, not the other way around. Uh, but what does that mean for the environment? Huge environmental savings. Agriculture okay. uses untold amounts of resources. I believe it okay. accounts for about 80%. 70% uh, of freshwater consumption in the wow. United States, about 80% mm -hmm. of our freshwater pollution comes from agriculture through the runoff of fertilizers and pesticides. Mm -hmm. So although agriculture is an extremely broad thing, you mm -hmm. have livestock in many different categories, right. this could put a very sizable dent in that environmental impact. Yeah. We're not using pesticides in these systems, so we can outright eliminate what's you know objectively mm -hmm. a pretty environmentally harmful compound and improve the diets of individuals. Sure. So often we find wow. people in food deserts that don't even have that grocery store access yeah. or the means of transportation to put that healthy produce inside their home. And I think we can tr completely transform that dynamic with this technology. Wow. Yeah. And that's ultimately what motivated me to found the company. Uh, myself and my co-founder, who was originally my co-worker on the NASA study, his name's Ivan Ball. He's from Owensville. So just a little bit north of Evansville. Uh, he and I came up with a new design that we patented that it drastically increased the yields while minimizing the power consumption of the system. Mm -hmm. And that actually okay. motivated the Purdue University Research Foundation to become one of our first investors into the company because they really liked the technology and the business model that we were proposing. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. that's kind of the, the dream. The end goal is that everyone has this in essentially their house. Yes. Um, what's, what would be the size of that? Like, you know, it's, it's gonna look a lot like a refrigerator. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a dream. Where are you in the process now? So that exists now. What oh, we have today okay. are actually <laughs> the a pretty- The future is now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now it exists it's, now, but you can't buy one. So yeah, I was like, where is mine? <laughs> it's in development. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to have some exciting announcements about making that more available. But, you know, okay. where it stands today, we've been really fortunate to get some federal research grants. So we're continuing to optimize the design, the operations wow. of these algorithms that actually facilitate these growing processes mm -hmm. inside these chambers. So where we are today is in more of a research and development stage. But I can okay. tell you that the future where this is available to the readily consumer it readily available to the consumer isn't that far away i mm -hmm. think it's a lot closer than what people imagine wow. yeah okay can you talk a little bit more about the idea of food deserts and how this sort of interrupts that mm. problem because that's like i think that's uh, sort of emblematic of 
what's so cool about this technology? It takes a, a problem that I think has been longstanding and people have tried to solve it for a long time. Um, and it kind of subverts uh, all of the factors that make that problem a problem. So mm-hmm. like in a food desert, it's, uh, it's difficult to open a grocery store because maybe that area of town can't economically support uh, a business like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is able to uh, kind of eliminate that problem altogether. So can you talk a little bit more about that and also like how you guys are kind of already piloting that idea here in a neighborhood in Evansville? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, DeAndre Wilson, mm-hmm. Impact Evansville, is a great individual, and he's been extremely helpful in this project, but he's also informed me with a lot of statistics that I was completely unaware of from Evansville, the, the town I grew up in, my yeah. hometown, uh, that, you know, TP Park, for example, spends, I believe it's nearly, I'm probably going to get this number wrong, but almost $20 million is spent annually outside of that neighborhood by the residents within the neighborhood. Wow. and. That, to me, is kind of this perpetual cycle where the wealth is kind of being exported outside the neighborhood. Yeah. And even if we can make food more accessible within the neighborhood, is that necessarily going to reverse this dynamic of exporting the wealth away? Sure. And so, in my opinion, if we can find ways to empower the neighborhood themselves to become self-reliant and grow their own food, not only are they getting a much healthier, much more environmentally sustainable food option readily available, but Mm -hmm. that money can actually stay within the neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. we're really seeking to empower them, not just in their food experience to disrupt these food deserts, but to also create businesses and foster entrepreneurship that individuals can truly feed their neighborhood. And we've been very fortunate to have received a grant, the American Impact Award from the Mandela Washington Fellowship, uh, to create our first, what we call the Grow Ring Farm and TP Park in Evansville at its wow. clubhouse. Yeah. So using okay. some of the elements from our grow pot systems, these really kind of sophisticated appliances mm-hmm. are still in development. We've been able to take elements of that technology and create a more readily available low cost system that could produce food at a semi-commercial scale. Mm-hmm. So an individual could actually have a micro business growing many hundreds of heads of lettuce on a monthly basis that they could actually wow. distribute to themselves or friends or family and just the neighborhood in general. Yeah. And I I have to say, uh, so I had the opportunity to come and see kind of the the opening of um, that indoor farm at the TP Park Clubhouse and then to come back and see like when the first crop had been yielded and it was super cool to be there and to see the neighbors from the neighborhood kind of like being introduced um, to this technology and uh, seeing kind of the opportunities and their wheels turning of like oh yeah this is really great Uh, but I also have to say that when I came back the second time and had an opportunity to eat some of the lettuce that had grown in this farm it was the best lettuce I have ever (laughs) had in my life because you're Uh, saying that conditions are perfect right yeah and and like you thank know, you nor- for that. normally lettuce is just like very it tends to be very bland it's kind of like you know it, it's it's the canvas that you put other <laughs> more delicious foods yeah. on and then you feel like you're healthy because you ate it but this was like man this is like flavorful in and of itself yeah. and and was very very good so um yeah, it, it was cool to see that. And if you are uh, listening to the podcast, um, w- we also have uh, 
all of our podcast episodes we publish on our YouTube channel. And so for this episode, we'll include some video of uh, what that vertical farm looks like. And you can kind of see a little bit of a glimpse uh, of that uh, on there. So if you're used to just listening audio only, encourage you to check out yep. our, our YouTube and our social media to kind of see a little bit of that because it's it's really neat. It's exciting. Yeah, I, I, I would love a visual of this. I can't yeah. wait to see those clips. Um, okay, so I have so many questions. So I'm going to start with why is this happening in Evansville? It mm -hmm. just, the idea of this technology, like you said, it does sound like it's going to change the entire world and it's really cool, but also hard to grasp that it's coming from Evansville. So is there a reason you stayed here yes. specifically? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I, again, I think this is a big learning experience for me personally. So I, I grew up in Evansville. Mm -hmm. This is my town. I went away for school for a while at Purdue. And when I came back, um, you know, as a startup, you have to be constantly concerned about fundraising. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot yeah. of, you know, expenses, patents, you name it, payroll, things that you're covering. So so often startups take this recommendation that you need to go to Silicon Valley or right. a right. big yeah. metropolitan area to pursue funding and find these sort of opportunities. And I'm not going to lie to you, for a while I kind of drank that Kool-Aid and thought mm -hmm. that, you know, my opportunities are going to be beyond this city. And so often I found that in these conversations, the inevitable question was, why do you need this capital? And it's like, well, we're going to design these appliances and these consumables and develop this plant science company. We're going to hire people and do all these things that is already done in Evansville right. exceptionally well, if I'm yeah. going to add to that. Okay. When you think about the history of Evansville, this was the appliance capital of the world, the refrigerator capital world. Well, yeah, you're right. I believe at its peak, it mm -hmm. produced 20,000 refrigerators a day. Wow. That's oh, just astounding okay. to even wrap blowing. our heads around right. that sort of number. Yeah. And for us, we actually have our headquarters. We work with a great group called Involve Engineering in Evansville, former Whirlpool engineer. So these guys spent decades living in the mm. appliance industry mm. and then started their own independent appliance engineering research and development firm here in Evansville after the Whirlpool plant shut down. Right. And for me to actually not just lease space from them, but learn from these industry veterans has been incredibly mm. valuable. And I would go as far to say that that sort of expertise doesn't really exist all that many other places inside this country. Wow. You know, Evansville has this long-standing history of both appliance manufacturing, consumable plastic product design, mm -hmm. and then there's plenty of agriculture expertise. I mean, this is the Midwest. You right. know, Purdue's not too far away. Yeah. You know, we can attract great talent here, and that's something that we've learned we can do. So to me, it's not just that we are in Evansville. It's that thanks to Evansville, we're here. We couldn't have seriously done this without the existence of this city. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's very, very cool. I think that, um, you know, that's a great example of being able to recognize the genuine strengths of our city and, mm -hmm. and reimagine the way that those might be applied, you know, to some of these significant problems, not only that our community and our neighbors are facing, but also problems that are relevant to communities all over the world. So mm -hmm. it's super cool. Yeah. Okay. So help me understand the, again, the end goal is everyone has it like a, like a refrigerator, but you were talking about TP park mm -hmm. and there's an existing one already there. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between there being one that exists in a neighborhood versus the home? Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? So what we are developing for the home is a highly automated appliance. So, so automated that 
you don't even know that the automation's there, that it mm. just kind okay. of seamlessly integrates into your life. What we've created at TP Park is a bit more analog. So it doesn't okay. have this level of internet connectivity uh, that the appliances would have because, okay. you know, when it comes to the appliance, we're empowering a consumer that has no experience in agriculture, does no time for agriculture, yet demands a super high quality fresh produce. Sure. In the case of TP Park, our goal was to feed as many people as possible with a very limited budget, uh, although we were very gracious to receive that budget, mm -hmm. it was very limited. And to feed as many people as possible, we had to make some compromises on the design to mm -hmm. maximize its production output, but we made some trade-offs for the automation along the way. That said, there really wasn't whole, all that many steps between when you first came, when we announced the system yeah. and planted the pods from when we harvested. You know, we topped the water off, you know. Sure. It's about the same level of maintenance as an aquarium might be, uh, maybe even a little easier in yeah. some cases. Uh, but that system's really just designed to maximize the food production output. Okay. Mm -hmm. So cool. by comparison, uh, the appliance, the under-the-counter system, that holds about 60 plants, and we've got mm -hmm. a 30 to 45-day growth cycle for that plant. So that under-the-counter appliance can consistently produce about a full head of greens on a daily basis once you're planting and harvesting and you've got that cycle rolling on a continuous wow. basis. This what system basis? holds, I believe, almost 750 plants growing yeah. simultaneously. So wow. goal okay. is to maximize the absolute <laughs> yeah. maximum productivity. I mean, we are touching the ceiling in that room literally that to produce crazy. as much as possible. Okay. Yeah, but it doesn't have a big footprint in the room. It kind of just takes up the corner yeah. of, of the space. So it's, it's, it's surprising how much uh, produce you can create in such a small space with this uh, design. It's, it's really cool. So uh, I'm curious, you know, you kind of started down this journey uh, doing this research project at Purdue and um, you know, I'm sure that, that can't, you know, you had your engineer hat on in that role. And, and I'm curious, like, as you've gone through this journey and begun to see the potential of this idea that you've had, what are some of the things that you've learned or, or maybe some of the ways that your uh, perspective, even of your own idea has changed um, and maybe shaped the way that you see the opportunities that you have to contribute to the city and to the world? Yeah. Like what are, I guess to summarize that, what are some of the like key lessons that you've learned on this journey, would you say? I think knowing your customer is incredibly important in understanding that user experience and working backwards from there. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. A lot of times technology companies build technology and then look for a market opportunity as opposed to identifying the market opportunity and working backwards. Mm -hmm. okay. And I think each one's unique as that. So if it's an appliance, if it's a very high-end premium appliance, you know, there's certain levels of user experiences that need to be pursued for that. If it's something that's designed for productivity and maximizing the output of the system, you mm -hmm. need to think about not just the operation of the system, but how is that produce actually going to be delivered to the individual? So for us, learning how to actually mobilize the neighborhood or work with efforts and groups that are already mobilizing the neighborhood, the TP Park Neighborhood Association, for example, and just leveraging when they bring the community in, that's when the food comes out. You right. know? It's a lot easier to work with schedules that are already in place as opposed to trying to kind of recreate what's already there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, I think people have been another incredible experience. You know, there's a saying that I've heard that it's taken me a while to fully appreciate this, but it's an old African proverb that if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go far, go together. 
yeah. and learning that this isn't something that I can do on my own with just myself or even my co-founder. This takes generational levels of expertise. Mm. So surrounding ourselves with advisory board members that have a huge wealth of expertise in the industry, surrounding ourselves with individuals who are creating similar types of appliances. They may not be growing plants, but just learning from these experiences to learn from other successes and mistakes just the like. So we can either replicate or avoid them just the same. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, Adrian, do you have any other questions or thoughts? Man, like a lot, but (laughs) I don't know. I don't, my, okay, we can totally cut this out if it's too weird, but this is so science fiction-y to me, especially with its origin of, we were looking at this in space and growing plants in space. Yeah, and then realizing like, no, but we can grow plants on earth. Like, it just sounds like a science fiction novel, which I feel like always ends up coming with, if we look at stories, um, these unintended consequences. Do you, have you run into anything like that or kind of the problems that it could potentially create or is this all just awesome? (laughs) You know, I mean, the food industry has some challenges, Mm -hmm. undeniably. It's about half of all the food that gets grown gets Mm -hmm. thrown away in this country because it's simply spoiled before we can eat it. So, you know, we have found, although, you know, slightly unintentional, but there's been massive food savings. You Mm -hmm. know, individuals don't have to throw away produce because it's alive until the moment they consume it. In fact, there's no refrigeration involved. It's simply grown, harvested. The plants grow fine outdoors and, you know, high degree temperatures. They've evolved to have that ability. Mm -hmm. We're leveraging these natural inherent abilities. Um, You know, I really can't say that there have been negative intended consequences. Uh, We've had individuals that unintentionally have become a lot more plant-based focused in their diet. We've had individuals that have helped reach a lot Which more. Which isn't in probably diet. a bad thing. No, no, I wouldn't say it's at all. But, yeah. you know, they didn't set out to do that is what's so exciting about yeah. that. To yeah. them, they just ate food that was delicious, tasted really flavorful, <laughs> that they enjoyed. And then by a consequence of that, they realized, wow, I'm eating a lot more plants now than I did previously. So, you know, I think there's kind of this sensory experience that when you see things growing, you take ownership, you kind of have this like mm-hmm. craftsman-like attachment to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we never anticipated there to be such an emotional buy-in. Mm-hmm. At, at any level, whether it's yeah. TP Park or the appliance, that individuals see that growing and they say, that's my plant. It's growing for me. You know, yeah. there's yeah. a powerful psychological effect with that. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. Cool. Yeah, that's well, so um, thanks so much for being on with us today. Yeah, if if people want to kind of follow the grow pod journey and, uh, you know, they hear this and they're like, oh, I'm excited about seeing how this develops. What's the best way for them to kind of keep up with what you guys are doing? You know, I think social media is a great way to follow us. Uh, we are GrowPod, that's G-R-O-P-O-D, on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I great. highly recommend people follow us. Uh, we like to keep up to date with some of our recent happenings there. So that'd probably yeah. be the most efficient way. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. We're excited to uh, follow yeah. you guys' journey That's and exciting. see, you know, see where it goes. And I, my wife and I are looking forward to someday uh, having, you know, a grow pod unit in I'm our kitchen ready. as well. I'm ready. I'm ready to like, buy one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sold. So you have, you have two customers at least right. already. Okay. Yeah. So, Sounds uh, great. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Well, that was really cool. Yes. To hear that, you know, growing plants in space and the future is changing now. the whole it's world. Here. The future is now. <laughs> 
uh, lettuce that actually tastes good. That's yeah. probably the most surprising <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, let's take a few minutes to just kind of think about Scott's story and how it relates to the idea of being for Evansville. Right. And um, it's very uniquely what he was talking about is it's very uniquely for Evansville and yeah. it's because of Evansville. And I can't help but thinking of that kind of farming analogy that almost the the ground was cultivated. This, this yeah. city was cultivated for making this product right. and how unique it is. And it just seems like more than a coincidence that this yes. is all coming together. Oh my here. gosh. And there's, so, there's so many layers to that farming analogy, you know, as he was talking about plants having everything that they need to flourish. Yeah. We use that type of language all the time when we talk about um, what does it mean to be for Evansville? Well, we want to make our city a place where everyone can flourish. Right. And so like when we think about a city like Evansville and we're able to recognize areas of our city where it's like, okay, people in this neighborhood, uh, a barrier to them flourishing is they don't have easy access to healthy, affordable mm -hmm. produce. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of layers to that. And to be able to see that this is a product that could easily just be marketed towards like kind of a more wealthy uh, target mm -hmm. customer right. base um, and, and be more of a luxury that right. you would have around your house. But I really appreciate that they've... Um, put so much time and attention into developing it as a solution for this community problem, mm -hmm. um, which, I, yeah, I just think is really cool. Right. That they started out in essentially Teepee Park, mm -hmm. uh, a neighborhood here in Evansville, where, as he was saying, the perfect conditions for growing something. I All I could think of was when he said Italy was like, yeah, you're going to grow the perfect grapes to make the perfect yeah. wine. Like, it does seem like <laughs> this is such a luxury. But like you yeah. said, I just love that his heart was more for this is a, a problem for these mm -hmm. people, this neighborhood, these areas, all the money is going out of it. How can we help them? How can we use this as help? Right. Like, yeah. And usually it's it's kind of works the opposite way. I love that yes. he's working kind of from the ground up. Yes. And it's a solution that empowers the people in that neighborhood right. to actually like um, address that problem themselves, mm -hmm. which is is great. So, um, yeah, it's it's also cool to think about just the um, the fact that he decided to stay in Evansville and to make this a really like Evansville focus thing and mm -hmm. you know he talked about how that was really the best choice for them but right. um you know i i think about that and we've talked about this before that mentality of like i need to go somewhere else to right. create solutions yeah. uh, or or to pursue success in what i'm passionate about and whenever you think of that analogy of the right conditions uh it's worth taking a look at evansville and mm -hmm. saying what are the things here already in my city that uh, are the right conditions right. for how I want to pursue success? Because there are. There are some really significant things that Evansville has to offer. Right. That you can dream big dreams here. So mm -hmm. we talk about the needs and dreams of our city, but it's also a dream of the world. Like he's like we said earlier, he's literally changing the world. Yeah. But Evansville is helping him do that. And what cities can really claim that, you know? And so 
it's it's awesome that that's that opportunities do lie here yeah like you said it's really important to take a look here what do we have how can i be successful here and help change the world yeah so as you're finishing up this podcast Look around you. Think about what are the things that Evansville has to offer in my sphere of influence, and what are the ideas or uh, contributions that I can bring into that space to help other people around me flourish. Don't just live in Evansville before Evansville. Yeah, and if you're like me and have a thousand questions for Scott, I mean, after we finish this podcast, I asked him so many more (laughs) questions just about small details, but we'd love to hear from you. We will relay any questions we can to Scott and get him to answer those. Uh, You can email us at connect at forevansville.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.